All right, welcome back to part two. As promised, the three words again are here, now, and close. And we're talking about loneliness in leadership and isolation in leadership. Now, how did I come to these three words? I came to these three words because of a book I read about grieving and the brain, written by a neuroscientist who had, along with others, done about 20 years of research on what happens in our brain when somebody we love dies. When I'm going through a tough time, I like to read as much as I can about whatever it is. If it's financially, I want to learn about finances. If it's physically, I want to learn about my body. If it's emotionally, I want to learn about their scripture and sound articles and research. So I read this really interesting research-based book that many people would find the most boring book, <laughs> boring book in the world. But I read this book um, about the grieving brain, and it had some really remarkable information in it about how our brain acts when we're connected to people and how our brain acts when we lose our connections with people, especially in grief. And what got me was this very first study that they talked about a study with rats, which were often used um, in scientific and uh, behavioral studies, because scientists have the ability to actually tap into specific parts of a rat's brain, very specific locations, and see what's going on there um, using electrical studies, electrical stimulation, and brain mapping. Yes, there are little brain maps for even rats. And they did a study where they put rats in um, a, a pretty sizable maze. There was no food in the maze. They just got the rats exposed to the maze and, and the rats would go and explore the whole maze every day. And as they explored, certain parts of their brain would light up. The next phase of the experiment was to put in the middle of the maze a Lego tower that was about six inches tall that was all blue. There was no food on it. There was nothing warm about it. It was just a little blue tower in the maze. And what they found is that as the rats experienced the maze and came to this new object, a different little part of their little brain would light up. And every day that they came to the blue tower, the same new part of the brain would light up again. So days and days and days, every time they got near the, the, the little blue tower, this little blue tower part of their brain would light up. Now you probably guess where this is going since um, nothing, nothing bad has happened so far. So the next part of the experiment was to take the blue tower out after they had been conditioned to expect it and experience it. And what they found was fascinating to me. And I ha I've had a lot of ahas since I read this book. The rats were released into the maze and as they got to the area where the blue tower should have been, what do you think happened? The blue tower area in their brain lit up as if the tower were there. And it happened on day one, no, no tower. Happened on day two, no tower. Happened on day three. By and large, most rats most of the time went five days with no physical presence of the tower, yet their brain experiencing something like it. And I, I had this aha moment, and one of the ahas is, after I've had um, losses of people that I love and care about, um, I've had this experience, and lots of us have, where after we lose someone, we think we see them somewhere. And you think you're going crazy, 
And the hypothesis of, of these researchers is that that's actually your brain firing because something made it think something close to that in our mind and our heart. And so our brain fires off the blue tower and we experience someone that we think might be our loved one or our friend or our child or our grandparent. Why? Because our brain is wired to want to recall and to want to experience here, now, and close. Now hang with me. Not only does our brain, just the intellectual part, rational part of our brain, want to experience that, but also the emotional part of our brain. Because let's be honest, our emotions are not in the muscle of the heart. Our emotions are all in our brain. Now we can feel them in parts of the body, like when I'm scared, I can also feel it in my stomach. But most of my emotional processing and reality is happening in the amygdala and related sections of my brain. Not only is the brain wanting to experience here, now, and close, but our emotional self is wanting to experience here, now, and close. And so part of the trauma, part, part of the trauma of loss is I can no longer experience close. Now you can reconcile two of these pretty well with each other, but once you lose someone, you just can't reconcile and experience all three simultaneously anymore. And so here's one of the ahas that I've had. I know we're in the weeds again, but think about this. Why are we so addicted to social media? And we're much more addicted to social media than we admit. Adults, we are. Because social media stands as a proxy for here, now, and close. It's a cheap substitute of an actual relationship and it fires some of the same neurons, right? Think about the rat who could find a little mini blue tower somewhere in the maze. He'd probably go to that because it was familiar. We crave connections. So we look at a screen and we think we're connecting, but we are not. I'm sorry, that was so parental, but I can't help it. We are not connecting on social media. We are dealing with a cheap imitation. Now, is the cheap imitation better than nothing? Absolutely, I think it is. Uh, if I know I'm gonna have to go stand in a long line somewhere, I don't wanna act like I'm back out on Brea Golf Course. I, I wanna, if I have to stand on a long line, I want my phone so that I can use the proxy and experience something like closeness, but it's not closeness. These are pixels of an image that was shot in time away from me. But it feels a little close and a little familiar. I like looking at pictures of my kids and, and what they're doing most of the time. Sometimes what they do scares me. Like when my daughter jumped out of a perfectly good airplane and sent us the picture after she parachuted. We didn't know about it. right? But most of the time these pictures make us feel good. I know lots of leaders who spend way too much time on Facebook and Instagram and interacting with media. And I know it's because it's a proxy for closeness and these are often shy and introverted leaders. So one of the challenges I have for you, predictably, is to take away the proxy and get more of actual, actual true aloneness or true connection. They both can be good for you, but this middle cheap imitation is not good for us. In fact, we know that the more time we spend 
looking at this little proxy, the worse we feel about ourselves. So why do we keep doing it? Because it gives us a little bit of this. I should have a tiny card with the little words. It gets a little bit of here and now and close. What we know about our hearts is that when we have a season of grief or divorce or loss or when we've been ripped to shreds, part of what hurts is that our relationships have changed and altered with one or more people. I think of pastors who are having friction with a number of people on staff or all of their elders or Christian college presidents that I work with that are having difficulties with a cabinet member or a faculty member or most painful, a trustee or group of trustees. Those experiences cause distance in relationships and the more distance we have in our relationships, the less here, now and close, the more pain we will be in. And here's what else we know. The more we have been ripped away from here, now and close, the more losses we've had in our life, the greater the tendencies for losses to continue to cascade down over us. I'm going to say that again. The more losses we've had in our life, the more they will continue, tend to continue to cascade down over us if we have not dealt with them adequately, if we've not aerated them, if we've not had the Holy Spirit work on them, if we've not had corrective experiences. As loss cascades down upon us and as we get broken and fractured in our relationships, one of the, the most convenient places to go is back into the cave and that's a term you hear me use a lot it's it's our most natural reaction when we've splintered or beginning to splinter in our relationships is to retreat to the cave of a hobby a place ESPN for six hours fly fishing <laughs> golf crafting whatever long 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 drives by yourself why because it's less painful to be there than to be in the presence of an agitated relationship or to run the possibility of having yet another loss. So we isolate. So I would ask you, this is, this is a, hard, a hard question. What are you doing in your life right now as a leader that is pushing you toward more, better, and deeper relationships and what are you doing right now that is causing you and pushing you to isolate? Because you're making decisions to go on one branch or the other every day and in every relationship. You're either growing and deepening relationships or you are withdrawing. There's not a lot of room for neutral in there. That's my opinion anyway. So what are you doing? What are we doing to pursue here, now, and close? Or why are we pursuing distance? We're usually pursuing distance out of protection. My heart, man, I've been so excited about this tough topic because I shared some of these thoughts about here now and close with all of our employees in August. And I've had several employees say that just the simple idea of here now and close has really helped them personally and spiritually. Because you know we weren't going to spend this whole time and just talk about human relationships. It's time to turn the dial and take a look at our relationship with the Lord. Now think of this battle going on. And I thought about this for years in the context of shyness. But now that I have a deeper understanding of how our brain works, especially after loss, 
I believe there's a battle going on every day for us around here, now, and close. And on one side, we've got God, Emmanuel, literally God with us, wanting us to experience here. I can't get through this without choking up. God wanting, God wanting us to feel here and now and close. So much so that he gave his son, so much so that the Father and the Son gave us the Spirit so that we would know we're loved, we're not alone, we're cared for, we're worthy of being loved, we're worthy of being liked. God desperately wanting us to know and believe and experience here now and close. And on the other side of this battle going on every day is a lion prowling in the grass just outside of our vision, ready to pounce on us at every turn so that we have no here, we have no now, and we have no close. Not just with our friends, colleagues, people in our church or our college or our business, but also with our Heavenly Father. I mean, it doesn't have to be some horrible sin that we're tricked into. It doesn't have to be some terrible belief that we're tricked into by um, the devil, by the adversary, by this lion that wants to rip us to shreds. Sometimes it's the subtle nudge to just be alone. You'll be better. You'll, you'll get more energy. You'll have better study time. You'll be more recharged if you go sharpen the saw. So take off a week or two or a year or a decade and just kind of be alone. Be insulated. Because your spouse would probably appreciate it if you took better care of yourself anyway. There are variations of variations of lies that tell us not to be in connected relationships. And I know it is hard to lead, especially hire in an organization, and maintain a good group of friendships. It is. I don't have a lot of good friends as present here that work here. I don't have a lot of good friends that work here because there's a big power imbalance between the person that works in the mailroom and the president's office. And it's weird for everybody, the power imbalances. It's also because sometimes I get tired of being worked because people want to work people that have more influence or control more resources. And, you know, sometimes they're subtle in that and sometimes they're not so subtle. I call it the presidential pounce where, you know, I get out of my car and somebody comes running over and wants to talk about the budget, which that never goes well. Right. So there are these protective and normal, understandable um, issues and, and dynamics going on in any organization. I know it's tough to have friends as a leader, but you don't have to have your friends at work. About four or five months ago, I took stock of my own life coming out of the deeper parts of my grieving over losing my mom and dad. And I thought, you know, one of the things I want to do the last third of my life, quarter, I don't know how many days I have left, but I want to have more and better friendships. So I reached out to four men that all go to my church, two of whom I knew and two of whom I was just getting to know. And I simply shot all four of them an email. And I thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to see if they would like to get together every Friday morning at Denny's at 7. Now it's 6.30. Well, see if they would even be willing to consider it. And within 24 hours, 
all four guys said, absolutely, they're all in. And I will tell you what a blessing it has been the last few months to be in a group setting where, as a group of men, I'm the oldest, the youngest is about 40, a group of similarly aged guys who all go to the same church, just do life together. But we chose on week one to go at this at a deeper level than just surface because so often men stay at the surface. So we made a conscious decision to be more real and each month we're learning to be a little more real with each other. It's interesting that of the five of us, two of us are probably uh, over-sharers and two are probably under-sharers and then one, not me, I'm not, I'm not the one in the middle. One's, one's kind of in that good space where they're at this point you know, they're, they're revealing about what you'd expect uh, in terms of being vulnerable. Now, it doesn't matter where we are on the spectrum. What we have decided, though, as a group is that we need more friends. And as men, we all want to have, the five of us want to have more and better friendships. Right after I became president of this university, um, I realized that this was a lonely job. And so I reached out professionally, again, to a group of colleagues, Christian college presidents um, connected to the Christian churches and churches of Christ like Hope International is. And I shot an email off to five presidents that I respected, was getting to know as a new president, a couple I had known from a distance, a couple I was just getting to know. And I thought, I'm going to shoot them an email and see if they'd like to just get together every now and then on Zoom. Not, not weekly, but just from time to time. And I just said, invitation from a lonely Californian president. And it was a very short email. Could you guys benefit from having conversations as a group? from time to time. Okay, the first group took 24 hours to get all the yeses back. The college presidents, I kid you not, in two hours, every one of them came back with absolutely. And I've come to believe, men especially, that we've got to learn to be better initiators of groups. Man, the, the, the lion would like us to believe that if we try to engage people in new friendships, that people will, I don't know what, laugh at us, say no, or, or make up something. I don't know what we expect people to do, but here's the truth. We all want connections. Now, maybe somebody says no because they're already overcommitted and they're in too many other kinds of things. But my belief and my experience with leaders now for the past 40 years is that we are often lonely and under-friendshiped. What I have come to believe and know in my heart is that the Holy Spirit was given to us to remind us every day, every moment, that in addition to friends and family, Emmanuel is always here and now and close. You know, in my tradition in, in this um, group of churches and, and colleges that I grew up in, um, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, when I was um, middle school, high school, a lot of churches had a lot of division over the role of the Holy Spirit and, and charismatic. I mean, it was just, it all blew up. And, and um, in our tradition, we had a view that the Holy Spirit would help us from time to time. We did not have a tradition of signs and wonders and speaking in tongues and so it, it got murky for a while 
But one thing I believe is that we have underappreciated the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and man, in the last few months, my friends, I have been overwhelmed by the here-ness and the now-ness and the closeness of God. Yes, in my family, yes, in these groups, but at least as much, if not more, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if you're alone, if you're lonely, if you've been struggling, I want right now to take just a minute and pray for you and offer you a cold cup of water and remind you that the literal name for Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the names for the Holy Spirit is Paraclete, the one right beside, next to, wearing cleats on the hill right next to us. God wants to be in this with you and give you so much joy and so much power and so much confidence that you begin to engage other people and take some risks and start some groups and send out some connections and some offers to be with people. Spend less time alone and spend less time on that device that's a proxy for closeness. I'm going to read um, just one verse from John 14, and then I want to close in prayer. Jesus, in a long sermon in the middle, talks about the role of the Spirit. And in John 14, 16, just says a very simple verse. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, the helper, may be with you forever. With. God bless these leaders. Help them to know that they are loved with an infinite love and like. And that that love is so deep and so strong that it can withstand losses and criticism and critique and separations. That love is so strong it could continue to propel us toward connecting with people. So strong that we can restore relationships. So strong that we can get through periods where we are alone, where we are a little lonely. God, we need your strength, and we need the lion to take a hike. So today I ask that we would um, engage in new behaviors, that, that we would be more connective and less escape-oriented, that we would be more initiating and less retreating. So God, I pray for power. I pray for courage. I pray for calm that will come as we add more friends to our lives. For those of us that are married, God, I ask for more quality time and conversations with our spouse, more time and quality conversations with our kids. And God, for the senior leaders at the top of the pyramid, I pray that they would find other people at the tops of other pyramids, no matter the size of the pyramid, um, because it can be very lonely at the very tip top of anything and just find ways for us to connect with each other. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being Emmanuel. We love you. We thank you. 
We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Here's a final PS. Um, if you're interested to learn more about shyness, um, look at some of the research by Henderson and Zimbardo around a construct called social fitness. It will help you with some of the actual tactics to become a better initiator. God bless you. So good to spend time with you today. Take care.